It's good to see you. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open it to Genesis 23. Genesis 23. As you're finding your place there, I want to welcome the venue service meeting with us down the hall. They're live streaming in for the sermon this morning. Church family, you welcome them. You welcome the venue service. Grateful that they're joining us down the hall and also Reach Church DeSoto right now joining us via live stream. And so Reach Church, welcome. We're glad you're joining us there and participating with us. And we trust you've already had a good morning as well. And uh, I also want to tell you uh, about some exciting things we've got coming this fall. Um, God has really uh, burdened my heart uh, that we as his people uh, during this upcoming fall season, we need to be a people who are intensely approaching the throne of God through prayer. We need to be a people of prayer. That should be the aroma of our lives all the time. We know that. But I think right now we'd all agree we need prayer like never before. We want to see God move in our nation right now. And so this fall we're going to have some unique prayer emphasis that we're going to invite you to involve yourself in as we seek the face of God. And we ask him to move in our own individual lives and the life of our nation We're also going to take a little break from the book of Genesis, and we're going to look in the New Testament some of the great conversion uh, stories of the New Testament. And it's just already been fun to research this with some of our guys and talk about preaching some of these texts. And we're going to take a little time and just focus in on the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to encourage you to invite people to watch online with you or or to come to church with you. And uh, we're going to encourage one another to go out into this world and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. God's not given us a spirit of fear, amen, and not a spirit of fear timidity, but sound mind and good judgment. We're going to keep moving forward uh, knowing that we got a limited amount of time. Today's the day. Now's the time. We're going to move forward with the gospel. So it's going to be exciting this fall. Buckle in. Make sure you're here. And if you're watching online, we're grateful you're participating with us in that way. Well, this morning as we come to Genesis 23, we come to the death and the burial of Sarah. And we've seen some death in the book of Genesis, obviously. We've seen Abel die. You get into chapter 5, you got a whole chapter that's filled with that phrase, and he died, and and he died, and he died. So we've seen death, but God's never really slowed down and paused and and give us an examination of what it is for the man or woman of faith to die. And so right here, God gives us a whole chapter a whole chapter here on the death of one woman, Sarah, and Abraham's desire to honor her and to bury her in faith. See, I love this about God's word. It not only teaches us how to live, it teaches us how to die. And uh, right now, death is in the news, isn't it? Death's in the news right now. A lot of decisions are being made today out of a fear of death and dying. But we, as God's people, we live differently, amen? We view death differently. We view this world differently. And so Abraham and Sarah are going to give us a picture here. God's going to instruct us on how the man and the woman of faith is to view death, how we're to live in light of death, 
and then how we're to, to approach it. So we're going to go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Uh, during this, uh, this season, uh, I, I had spent some time just encouraging you to get on their knees and pray. And I'm going to do that. That's something God compelled me to do this morning. So if you're physically able where you're seated and you want to get on your knees, if you're not, that's okay. But I'm going to get on my knees this morning and just ask God. Because I'm going to tell you what, we need God to move right now. If you're in your homes, you want to join us on your knees, get on your knees. But we need God this morning. We need the Spirit of God to move and Him to speak. So I'm just going to go to my knees this morning. We're going to ask God to bless the study of his word. Father God, as we come before you this morning, we, we hit our knees, not because you hear us better when we're in a different posture, but because we want to physically demonstrate the attitude of our hearts, and that is we are humble. We have sung your praises this morning. And in a recognition of who you are, we can't get low enough. And we just plead with you, God, to speak to us, all of us, right here in this room, those watching online, those watching it down the hall in the venue, those watching at Reach Church DeSoto, all of us this morning, we desperately need to hear your voice. We need to be enlivened by your spirit and by your word so that we might be encouraged to go out into a lost world and, and live Jesus. So, God, we know this time is sacred. Your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And we need you. Speak to us. Instruct us. Make your word clear and change us. And, God, I pray right now, I'm pleading with you, if there's anybody who's wandered into this room this morning and they don't know the hope of Christ, and maybe they're living in fear of death, God, I pray that you would show them this morning there's somebody who conquered the grave and he defeated death and he is our hope and we die in faith trusting that when we come to that moment of death, somebody's already passed through that curtain and they're going to take us by the hand and they're going to lead us home. So give them that hope today through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, look with me here. Genesis 23, verses 1 and 2 says, Now Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abram went in to mourn for Sarah and to, to weep for her. I think the first thing that we see here as it relates to death, and it's probably a blinding flash of the obvious, which... I'm really good at, but we see here that Abraham, in light of death, is a man who is grieving. I think Scripture wants us to know, not just grieving, but he's weeping. To almost state to us in, in doubly fashion to let us know this man is moved at his core. You remember Abraham and Sarah, they've journeyed for a long time together in this walk of faith. We don't know exactly how long they've been married, but certainly on the numbers we have, it's well over 60 years. Over 60 years of Abraham's life, and there's been two constants, God and this woman that God had given to him and Sarah. And boy, they've been through their share of stuff, haven't they? They've cried together. They've got angry with each other. If I'm reading the text right, it looks like there's a few times when Sarah was yelling at Abraham. 
And I bet there was a few times when Abraham got upset with Sarah. And they've been through trials. And Sarah, she's seen all his weaknesses. She's seen all his failures and he's seen all of hers. They've been through some deep valleys together, but they've also been over some amazing mountains, haven't they? Boy, they've seen God move in powerful ways. They've laughed together. They've seen God change the laughter of unbelief and transform it into the laughter of fulfilled faith as now they have a son together. Boy, this couple, they've been through a lot, and all of it together, God has bound them together in one holy passion for the glory of God in an inseparable love. Sarah was Abraham's best friend this side of glory. Any of you identify with that? And when it comes to the moment of her death, boy, he's hurt. And initially you read this and say, well, what's wrong with this guy? I mean, he's supposed to be a great man of faith. He knows that Sarah's justified by faith. He knows this is not the end. We're going to see that. What's wrong with this man? Why can't he just strengthen up and keep on walking? And you know what we're learning? Even great men and women of faith sometimes grieve. And it's natural and it's normal, especially in light of death. You remember Jesus when he comes to the death of his good friend Lazarus. Shortest verse in the New Testament. What is it? Jesus wept. And it's not the normal word for weeping. It's deep emotional gut-wrenching sadness. Not only does it tell us that Jesus wept, it tells us that he was troubled. You know, that word troubled, it's an interesting word. I was going back and I look at my notes in John 11. And that word troubled, it's, it's the word for a horse that kind of snorts, that goes. Whoosh. In other words, when Jesus comes to the death of his good friend Lazarus, he's not only sad, but he's mad. Why is Jesus sad and mad? Why does Abraham grieve like this? Because both of these men understand that death is not the way that it was intended to be. This is not how God originally designed it. Death wasn't originally there. Death will not be there at the end. Death is a product of what? It's sin. What did God say to Adam and Eve in the garden? In the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Death is a marring of the image of God, which is all the more, it begins to help us all the more understand Jesus coming to the death of his good friend Lazarus. Jesus was there when man was made. He knows how it's supposed to be. He saw it. He knew this is man in all of his glory, and now he lies lifeless and still with a body that's decaying, and Jesus was mad about it because this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And so we come to the death of people we love, and we grieve, and it's natural, and it's normal. 
<clears throat> when somebody's impacted us in, in, in a Christ-like way as a representative of God in our life who loved us, we ought to grieve. Now, we don't grieve as those who have no hope, amen. We certainly grieve, though. I, I, I pray that when we come, I come to the end of my life, I hope there's somebody shedding a few tears. But we have hope. Abraham has hope. But listen to me this morning. Grief's a real part of the Christian life. You've heard me say it's keeping one hand of the plow while wiping away tears with the other. Abraham grieves in the light of death. But I think the better question we need to ask is how did they live? Abraham and Sarah certainly understood that this life that God gave them was a temporary period of time. It was just a short moment of time. We're going to see that they had an understanding of something better coming. But in light of that, you and I, in light of death, how should we live? How did Abraham and Sarah live? Well, there's a couple of things that marked their life. The first that we see is that Abraham and Sarah lived as strangers. Look at verse 3. Says that, then Abraham rose from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I'm a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of sight. And the author of Hebrews writes a commentary on this, and he too tells us that what marked Abraham and Sarah's life is that they lived as strangers, as sojourners. Some of your translations will have aliens, foreigners. In other words, they were temporary dwellers. In view of the fact that their life was just a brief period of time, they lived as strangers. They, they never settled down. If you, we've walked through the, the study of Abraham's life, and I went back and I looked at this. Do you know what's interesting? It never really tells us that Abraham lived anywhere. Every time it talks about someplace he was, it says that he was sojourning there. Meaning he was always living kind of a pilgrim's life. That he, he, it says that he sojourned in, in the Negev. And it says that he sojourned near Bethel. And it says that he sojourned in Mamre. And he sojourned in, in Gerar. But he never settled down. He never became a naturalized citizen. He was always a stranger. Always a pilgrim. Always a sojourner. In fact... There is one individual in the life of Abraham that did settle down. And what was his name? Lot. It says he settled down in, in Sodom. And he paid dearly for it. Abraham and Sarah never settled down. They always lived as, as strangers. They, they always lived in tents. It's amazing when you think about it, really. God sends Abraham and Sarah to the promised land... And then when they get there, they live in tents. It's, it's kind of weird when you think about it. I mean, imagine if God promised you the land of Guatemala. And by faith, you left everything you have and you went to Guatemala. And when you got there, you lived the rest of your life in a camper. Not only you, but all of your family. It's strange. It's odd. Why would they do this? Well, again, the author of Hebrews writing a commentary on this, he tells us why Abraham did this because he says in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham was looking for a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. 
Why do Abraham and Sarah constantly live in these tents? To remind them that as good as the land of Canaan was, there was something better coming. And so you see, when Abraham and Sarah left their hometown of the Chaldees and obeyed God, they were not just counting on God's promise for a piece of earthly land. They were looking beyond that land to their eternal dwelling. And living in tents was a constant reminder in their life that we're not settling down here because we're looking for something better. Abraham and Sarah kind of lived in three worlds, really, when you think about it. And so do we to some extent. The, the world that they left behind, that God called them out of, or the Chaldeans, out of a pagan land, out of an immoral home with with idol worshipers, and God called them out of that. And then they lived in this land of Canaan, a land of wandering, with no real piece of land that they owned, because they were just passing through that world, weren't they? And then there was the world to come, the world that they were looking towards, that they knew would be their eternal dwelling. And so living in a tent was a constant reminder that this is not our home. They were looking for a city is what the author of Hebrews says, looking for a city. I I think if we had the opportunity to meet Abraham, you would have met a man who always seemed to have a faraway look in his eyes. You ever met anybody like that? A person, an individual who'd been so touched by the divine, so touched by God, that all of a sudden this stuff of the world started just losing all of its appeal. You ever met anybody like that? See, that's what happens, you and I, when we, when we get touched by the divine. And God moves in our lives that the stuff of this world, the trinkets, the temporary trinkets of this world just don't do it for us anymore. And we're constantly just trying to keep one hand to the plow and be faithful to what God called us in in this world to do. But we're always keeping one eye to the sky, trusting that one day we're going home. You ever heard that saying that that a person is so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly use? Can I just be honest with you this morning? I've never met anybody like that. I've never met one person who was so eternally minded that they were of no earthly use. But I can tell you this, I've met a whole lot of people who were so earthly minded that they were of no eternal good. You and I are to be a people who are constantly reminded that this is not our home and constantly looking towards our eternal dwelling, which is heaven. It's kind of like what what Paul said to the Corinthians when he said, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary affliction is achieving for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond call comparison. That in our lives, there's two things happening. Physically, we hit somewhere around 27 and it all starts going downhill, amen, physically. Anybody say amen to that this morning? Did you look in the mirror? All right, I did too. It's all going that way. 
But as we grow in Christ, we're going this way. And I'll tell you what, I've been there and seen godly men and women die. And you know what's interesting? When they are at their weakest and barely holding on physically is when they have grown the strongest spiritually. And what happens, the more we mature, the more the stuff of this world loses its appeal and the more the stuff of heaven begins to draw attention to our soul. In fact, that's what Paul goes on to say in that same passage in in Corinthians. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen, because the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So let me just ask it this way this morning. In light of your impending death, that you're all, well, all of us are going to hit, don't matter what you do. You can run three times a day and rub Rogaine all over your body. It's going to happen, all right? It's coming for all of us. You can't escape it. In light of that, here's my question for you. Are you living as a stranger or are you settling down? Are you living as a stranger? What did Jesus say? Do not store up treasure for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Are you living as a stranger? Are you settling down? And if you're settling down, can I just tell you a couple things this morning? Number one, you're making a really bad investment. I mean, if you knew, if you knew for certainty that you had a stock today that tomorrow was going to tank, what would you do? You'd cash it all in, wouldn't you? And you'd put it in something you knew was going to succeed. It's actually illegal in stocks, so don't do that. But if you knew that. But what's illegal in stocks, God tells us to do in the things of this world. What do we do? We know this stock, this stuff of this world, it's going to tank one day. Everybody says, put it in securities. Listen, there's nothing secure in this world. So what do we do? We turn around and invest the things of eternity. We invest all of our lives. We're a people who are living as strangers, always looking for home. You know, the story goes of a couple, an elderly couple, and they, uh, they're, they're really poor, had nothing. They had one son. They had one son, one boy, incredibly brilliant. And they scraped together all they had, and they sacrificed, and they sent this, this young boy named Graham. They sent Graham to a college. They, they put him in college. And Graham excelled, became a, an, incredible, an incredibly successful architectural engineer. He's the apple of their eye. Boy, he was the, the pride of their life. And And friends would come over to their house and they would tell their friends, they would say, guess what Graham is doing for us? Friends would say, what's he doing? We'll tell you what he's doing. He he bought a piece of land for us. He bought a piece of land for us near our hometown. And he's building a house for us. He's designed this incredible home and he's building a house for us. And they'd start telling them about the kitchen and the the farm sink and the, the bedroom and the, the porch and this garden. He's got this, and then they'd say, let's just get the blueprints out. we got to get the blueprints out and show you. And they'd get the blueprints out and then they'd start to get emotional. And they'd say, you got to excuse us. Because when we get the plans out, we start to think we're actually living there. 
church family, sometimes when we get these plans out, amen, and God speaks to us, we start to think we're already there. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble estate into conformity with the body of his glory. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that day. Well, there's another marker in Abraham and Sarah's life. Not only did they live as strangers, but they lived according to a different standard. Look at verses 5 and 6. The sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord. You're a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of graves. None of us will refuse you as grave for burying your dead. This is interesting there. Abraham, he, he hadn't known any land. It's kind of interesting because God promised him land, but he's not going to know the full realization of that promise. It'll come later. But he wants a piece of land to bury his wife in. And he comes to the sons of Heth, the Hittites, and he asked them if he can buy a piece of land. And you got to understand the Hittites... Uh, incredibly immoral people. These were an incredibly immoral people. You think our culture was bad? Do some research on the Hittites. These were an amazingly immoral people. And I can guarantee you they did not agree with Abraham's belief in Jehovah God. They did not agree with Abraham's standard of morality. They probably did not agree with Abraham exclusively devoting himself to one woman. They probably thought that was crazy, especially if you know their culture. They probably thought Abraham was a nut. He had money, he was wealthy, but he never owned a house. He never owned any land. They probably thought this guy was strange, odd, and they probably didn't agree with anything that he believed. But how did they regard him? In what way did they think of Abraham? Well, it tells us they call him, they they refer to him in two ways, my Lord and a mighty prince. And simply on the basis of how they respond to him, hey, Abraham, we know you. You're such a, we'll give you land. You don't have to ask us for anything. We'll give you land. In other words, they may not have agreed with his belief system, but they couldn't disagree with his life. This was a man who lived above reproach. We may not understand all you believe. We may not understand this Jehovah God stuff, but we respect how you love your wife. We respect how you live your life and we trust you. We may not be able to trust these other guys, but we trust you. Abraham and Sarah, in light of their death, lived according to a different standard. They lived holy lives before a watching world. And folks, that's how we're to live. That if people are going to take hits at us, let it not be because we're immoral or evil. Let it be because we hold to the one true means of salvation, which is Jesus Christ who died on a cross for our sins. They want to hit us for that. Let them come at us all day long. But let us live lives that glorify Jesus so while they might not agree with what we believe, they can't disagree with how we live. 
that I may not know about all that Jesus stuff, but I respect the way that man loves his wife. And I respect the way that man and that woman raise their children. And I may not agree with what he believes, but in my work, what, workplace, nobody works harder than her. Nobody works harder than him. And I trust them. They're people of integrity. You know what in, integrity means? It means that your beliefs and your life match up. That was Abraham. Living according to a different standard. A man of integrity. A man of character. And then finally we see that in the latter portion of this chapter, the majority of this chapter, we see that that Sarah died in faith. Look at verse 7. We'll read down through the end very briefly here. So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them saying, if it's your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and approach Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, which is at the end of his field for the full price. Let him give it to me in your presence for a burial site. Now Ephron was sitting among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even of all who went in at the gate of his city, saying, No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that's in it. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bear your dead. And Abraham bowed before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will only please listen to me. I will give the price of the field, accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. And Ephraim answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What's that between you and me? So bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephraim. And Abraham weighed out for Ephraim the, the silver which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. So Ephraim's field, which is in Machpelah, which, which faced Mamre, the field and the cave which is in it, and all the trees which were in the field that were within all the confines of its border were deeded over to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave at the field of Machpelah, uh, facing Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that's in it were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site for the sons of Heth. Now this is interesting, a lot of stuff here, but the question is, why is this here? Why, why, is, why do we get these... Uh, you know, 13 verses or so on two men arguing over the price of a field. It's kind of interesting. I'll buy it from you. You don't have to buy it from me. I know you, Abraham. We respect you. You're, you're a great guy. You can have the land. You don't need it. No, no, no. I'm going to buy it, and I'm going to buy it publicly. I want everybody to see it, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bury my wife there for everybody to see it, everybody to know. Why in the world would he do this? I mean, normally when you bury somebody, where do you bury them? You bury them in your hometown, don't you? Where they were born. Normally, typically, if you can, that's what you do oftentimes. So why wouldn't Abraham go back to Ur of the Chaldeans? Spent 70 years there. Why would he take her back there? Why bury her in what what amounts to a, a, a desert wasteland? And why make such a big deal out of it? Why say, I'm gonna pay you for this and everybody's gonna see me do it? Why? Because Abraham wants to go on record before a watching world that God made a promise to me that he would give me this land. And even though I've not come to see it it happen in my life, I've learned something about God. Whatever he promises, he always comes through. He always gives. So in a public way, I want everybody to know I'm dying by faith 
trusting in a God who always keeps his promises. And isn't that us? That really the great act of faith is coming to that moment when you know the heart is giving way and the machine starts beeping and you are looking towards heaven and you go to the mat trusting that there is a God that though you haven't seen, you love him and you're filled with joy and you know that he's going to be there on the other side and he's going to carry you home. That you know that Christ is our first fruits and he conquered the grave in his death and his resurrection. He's passed through that curtain of death. He's my first fruits and I have a confident assurance that since he is raised forevermore, that I too shall be raised through faith in him. That we not only live by faith, we die by faith. Telling a watching world, Oh, we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We're trusting in God. We know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We know according to 1 Thessalonians that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall all be with the Lord. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go away to prepare a place for you. If I go away, I'll come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 1 Corinthians 15, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you, a mystery will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed, for this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. The world comes to the moment of death and says death won. We say no, life has won. And we say, oh death, where's your victory? Oh death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We live by faith, and we die in faith. Do you have that hope this morning? Do you have the confident expectation that when you take that last breath here on earth, your next breath will be with Jesus? And I'm going to tell you, the only way to have confidence is the same way that Abraham and Sarah had it. Not because you're good. Abraham had confidence not because he was a good man, but because God is good and he's gracious. And Abraham had trusted in God and his grace and his mercy. And by faith, it was credited to him as righteousness. And through faith in God, he had the confidence assurance that he would be with God forever. What are you trusting in today? We're all going to face it. There's only one way to have confidence. 
There's only one way to look towards death and have joy in your heart. And it's by trusting in the one who defeated the grave named Jesus. Do you know him this morning? Let's pray together. God, we thank you that seeing us in the predicament of our sin, dead in our transgressions and sins, and knowing that the wages of sin is death, you came to us. Knowing we could never save ourselves, you came. You sent your one and only son to live a perfect, sinless life, dying across for our sins, so that we could know that we know that we know that no matter what happens in this world, one day we'll be with you forever. God, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't have that assurance, I pray that they would trust in your son, Jesus Christ, this morning, and they'd have the hope, the confident assurance of heaven. God, if there's anybody here this morning that does know you, but boy, they are being sucked in by this world. They're starting to settle down. God, I pray that you'd awaken their hearts to the reality of heaven that they were made for the eternal and people who've been made with the, made for the eternal will never be satisfied of, with the things of this earth. God, I pray that they would turn their eyes towards Jesus, look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth would grow, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. God, help us to live not as those who settle down, but as strangers with one eye to the high, at the sky, always looking for Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.